This is the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Shelley Lee Griffin from the law firm Seacrest Wardle in Michigan. Shelley is an executive partner with the firm. She specializes in insurance defense litigation with an emphasis on fraud investigations. Her areas of expertise include first-party and third-party property insurance matters and coverage disputes. Shelley assists insurers in investigating fire, water, and theft claims suspected of fraud. She also handles multi-party complex, large loss litigation, gas explosion losses, and subrogation. And Shelley, we're very pleased to have you with us today. Oh, thank you. This is my pleasure. Today's topic for discussion is water is becoming the new arson. And Shelley, for our first question this morning, what does water is the new arson mean? So those that are familiar with the insurance fraud area, I think that arson has been a long staple in the insurance industry. Like it's a easy go-to. People can imagine, you see it in the movies, but people setting a, their home or their business on fire in order to collect insurance proceeds. So water is a new arson is suggest, is meant to convey that we're seeing a shift in the way people are committing fraud. And it's much easier um, at least in my opinion, to stage a water loss than to stage a fire loss. Um, they they both can have the same kind of uh, profitability for someone that wants to commit insurance fraud. So they will both get to both a water loss and a fire loss. They both in, they both cause damage to a structure, a building. It causes damage to the contents. It might be. Um, you get additional living expenses or loss of business income. So those are ways that are, it's just as profitable. But it's uh, easier for them to be, to get away with it, I guess, is what is why I think it's an easier water as a new arson. So why is it that a large water loss is less risk for an insurer to commit than arson? So um, they there's lots of similarities in them. So if you think about a fire loss and a water loss, usually the the person that wants to commit those sort of, um, stage those sort of insurance claims, they are away from the home when they happen. What, um, if you, in a typical fire loss, you have someone that the people are out of the house and um, they're away from the home and a fire occurs inside the house, the fire department, someone, a passerby will notice the, smoke or the fire shooting from the building, and they call the fire department, and the fire department um, comes, and maybe the police comes, and they put the fire out. And then you have all this damage to the house, the contents, the building, the sh- everything that would go with it, and sometimes it's water damage. When you have a water loss, you have um, the families away from the house. And the if it's a, like a water line from your second floor bathroom, and it's running, and it's been uh, it's run for days. If you say you're on vacation or you're out for the night or you've just gone um, away for the weekend, it continues to run and run and run. And you get to come home and say, I discovered my house was flooded while I was gone. And it doesn't involve the fire department and it doesn't involve um, law enforcement coming. And it's much harder for someone in the neighborhood to pass to detect it. So in that sense, you can get as much if sometimes more damage accomplished. Uh, there's times where we have, um, 
I've taken insureds, uh, found out that they set their house on fire, and um, a witness will say the, the homeowner is standing in the street yelling, who called the fire department? Because they actually didn't get to commit as much damage as they wanted to. And so with the um, it making it harder to detect, the homeowner has more control over the situation and how long the damage can, how much time they can have the damage occurring. It can be hours, days, um, and if it's a long vacation, a week or more. And then they come back, and they are the ones that are, are the first responders. You don't have a, the fire department coming in. You have them calling, well, I called um, my plumber or I called uh, a family friend, and then we addressed it, and then they make the claim. But by then, they've been able to, they've been able to um, cause as much damage, and it's going unnoticed. And there's not the kind of criminal implications that you would get if a fire department arrived um, and in a fire you can have, you could be charged with arson, you could be causing injuries to a fire department, the fire department personnel, and you can have um, it spreading to your neighbor's property and then even in some instances harming your neighbors if the fire spreads. Um, water just doesn't have those kind of risks and you're not worried about uh, someone charging you with staging a water loss where you would be worried as a person perpetrating fraud of being charged with arson. And so in our, our, what we're finding is that not only is it easier to perpetrate, but the insurance companies, there is um, a rush to deal with water. Water uh, can, you can't leave water sitting. It has, uh, they want to mitigate the damages immediately. They are worried about uh, mold growth over time. And so what they're usually the first course of action in a water loss is to say, let's begin mitigation and remediation immediately. Let's dry the structure out. And sometimes they're doing that even before they've determined if there's coverage. They haven't determined. No one's actually said, well, let's figure out where, um, how did this water loss occur? Is it, was it a legitimate one? And so because that rush to judgment, they're, they're starting to pay on a claim before they've even determined, should we be paying on this claim? And there's not as much, people aren't, it's, aren't suspecting that it's happening, and so they're not asking for a full investigation like you would with the fire loss. But the fire loss companies um, always hire an origin and cause investigator, and they ask someone to determine, an expert to come in and say, where did this fire originate? What, uh, what was the cause of it? And then there's scientific data that backs it up through, like, NFPA 921, which is a widely accepted scientific material that helps them determine the cause of the loss, you don't have that same equivalent in a water loss. I mean, there's certainly um, codes and standards, but if you haven't even, if uh, an insurance company has just come in and said, we're worried about uh, stopping further water damage, we want to prevent the spread of mold, and they're not taking this, the step to first figure out, is this a legitimate loss? then they've missed that and they've rushed to assuming liability and coverage. Whereas um, the fire, I think there's more of a, we need to investigate, we need to determine what was the cause of this fire. And then there's, um, if it's an intentionally caused fire or if it's considered undetermined or suspicious, it'll get a referral to an insurance special investigation unit and then further investigation is conducted 
and that's when you see insurance companies look more closely at the um, insured, the homeowner, the business owner, and saying that they have a possible motive for setting this fire, and then they look to further to see if it's been staged. So I think that people are accustomed to thinking, you know, this goes back to why is water the new arson, but it's we're accustomed to, to suspecting fire losses don't just happen. We know that something triggered it, and I think people have for a long time just assumed um, nobody, nobody would stage a water loss. But for the reasons that I was just saying, I think it's much easier to get away with, and it just doesn't get the level of scrutiny and can cause the same, if not more, um, damage because of especially the mold growth is an issue. So, Shelley, when investigating, what are some indicators that adjusters or special investigators should look for? Uh, so I think that um, you want to look to see if they're, like you would in a fire loss, you're always looking at someone's claim history. You want to see if they have um, experience with prior claims, because I think once you know how um, the claim process works and, and how much money you can ultimately be paid under a claim, you've sort of learned uh it's your beginning introduction to how much money can be made. So claim history is important. Um, I think financial distress is always an issue. You want to know is there a, motiv- a motivating factor, something that's changed in their situation that would prompt them to want to commit insurance fraud. Sometimes that might be something like a bank or tax foreclosure, like their mortgage. They might be behind on their mortgage. They might have not been able to pay their property taxes. There's things that are pushing them towards a situation where they might be losing their house, and this is a way of getting some money out of the house before that happens. We look also at related losses. Um, I think in the area of fraud investigation for insurance companies, the uh, companies, the insurance companies are getting so much more savvy. There's so much more information out there to pull together from social media, and you can find that there are, we actually have discovered rings, you know, um, people that all know each other, maybe they're all friends or maybe they are all family that are having all water losses around the same time. Sometimes it's a domestic discord where, like, maybe there's a marital issue. You think that uh, the a couple might be uh, divorcing, and they the house is their biggest asset, and they're not going to get as much money as they think out of it, and so it's much better to have a stage water loss because they'll get more money for it as a result. Um, I think you always want to wonder why is everyone gone from the house when these things happen? Like, where did they go? Why weren't they home? Sometimes you'll see it'll be a weekday, and um, something will happen in the middle of the night, and especially if it's a family that has children and it's a school year, you're like, why weren't, why wasn't the family home? Why, why weren't those kids in bed? They have school the next day, you know. Or um, what is their explanation? Sometimes people, you know, some of the claims that I've seen were a couple said we went to go stay with family, and the family lived two miles away, and there would be no reason if they lived so close. Why would you have to go and stay with them for the weekend instead of being back at your own house for? that's so close. And then uh, there's always the idea of like removing of furnishings that um, neighbors will tell you, well, we saw them moving the baby grand piano out of the house, you know, the the week before all this happened. 
these aren't really all necessarily indicators just for water losses, but they're just indicators in general, and a lot of them follow what is the um, NICB, National Insurance Crime Bureau, indicators. Shelley, can you tell us some examples as to how it's being committed? So what, um, what we see, for example, is a lot of the losses will be in a second-floor bathroom. And if you're in a second-floor bathroom, the reason that's an ideal location is that water runs down. So you're getting, if the second-floor bathroom of a residence uh, has a water um, failure, and I'm just going to explain the damages and I'll talk more specifically, but that by having it go on the second floor, it means it's damaging everything on the second floor, and then depending how long they're gone, it's running down to the first floor, it's causing damage to the walls, the ceilings, the, um, the floor, subfloor, it might even affect the, um, depending how bad it is, it can affect the ceiling joist, and then it just keeps running down just by gravity. So you've had effectively caused damage on all levels of the house by starting at the top level, by gravity water is going to run down. So um, that's one of the things that we see. And some examples just that I can tell you that uh, cases that I've been a part of, there is um, one was the second floor bathroom scenario, and the person was saying that the water lines, the cold and hot water lines, had um, one of them had become disconnected from where your water connects to the faucet um, underneath the sink. And it was connected with a device that's called a shark bite. The shark bite, though, is almost like it sounds. It is a, um, it's a way of connecting the um, two pieces of piping together, and it almost has teeth in it. Uh, and so once, a, once you insert it, the teeth become permanently implanted into the other, you know, like if you're saying the female and male end, and they become connected. It's impossible to remove them. Like you physically cannot pull them apart. And... Uh, because that was analyzed by a uh, mechanical engineer, they said there was no failure. This, this, that the way they're describing the loss couldn't have possibly happened. Um, at the time, someone that family was at an amusement park. There's another one, same same scenario, second floor bathroom. These people are at a water park for the week, and they said that the PVC pipes. No, so water water can be flown. Um, they carry it through different. You know, you might have copper, you might have PVC, and this, the PVC, which is a white plastic tubing that you see, again, you have the male and female um, ends, and there's a ferrule that's kind of the white, like the cap that you would, so to speak, that you'd see the, when the female part's inserted into the, what you'd say, the male connector part of it, you put a lot of cement on it, um, PVC cement, and that creates this chemical bond. In that case, they tried to say that they're, with cement failure, but it actually, that also, we learned through an expert, it doesn't, you, if there's a sufficient amount of glue, it just won't fail. It changes chemically, and when it's um, connected, uh, it's not going to become unconnected. They've become almost fused together, so that's how that was discovered. We've seen people do um, where they actually will um, heat a solder joint. So if you're looking at a copper piece, um, there was a case involved. Uh, I'm in Michigan right now, and we had heavy, heavy rainfalls in an area, um, like historic rainfalls, that cut it, caused a lot of flooding. And um, most of the people, and this affected several cities, 
uh, did not have flood insurance, so there wasn't anything that could protect them for all the damage they had to their basement. And this was an insurer that had that exact loss. And so a few weeks later, she presented a claim saying that the bar sink in her basement had failed. And when it was investigated, um, we had a, a metallurgist look at it, and she found that they had actually heated um, the solder joint and made it appear, heated what was already a previous solder joint to make it seem as though the solder joint failed, but instead it was a second reheating. Um, other times we see people using razor blades to try and uh, disconnect a compression nut. Um, and then even it can be as simple as using a hairdryer. You can use a hairdryer to heat those flexible hose lines and pull them apart. And uh, so it looks as though it just failed, but instead it was heated and then someone manipulated it. And really these are these kind of examples um, were only detected because an expert was brought in. It's not something that you can see with the naked eye. It just really you needed a, the proper expert to come in, figure out what was the cause, and that's um, how in those all of those cases the fraud was detected. So, Shelley, what are the key takeaways? Uh, so the the most important thing I think I'm hoping is people understand is that even if it's a water loss, you should treat it like a fire loss in the in the sense that you have to first determine where did the loss originate and what was the cause, what caused it. And even if it's, you're going to find times where it's not actually a stage loss, but you might have, um, there might be a manufacturing defect in the product and it legitimately failed and there's a subrogation potential. It might have been, it failed because there was corrosion or improper maintenance, but that is, isn't covered under a homeowner's policy. So you might have an exclusion. And then sometimes, especially like in Michigan, because we're a colder climate, we, you see pipes freeze often. Um, but the policies usually say you have to maintain heat. So it's not that you're always going to find fraud, but you have to investigate it because you still might have other things to consider, that being the subrogation or other policy provisions that would affect coverage. So I'm hoping that that's really the thing is that you've got to determine the cause first. And then to determine the cause, you have to hire the right expert. You have to make sure you're getting someone that, like you would want to make sure they had the right qualifications if you had a fire investigator. So you want to make sure that the plumber, an engineer, a forensic failure analysis, that they're the people looking into the cause. And then from outside of the expertise, I think if you're um, – someone that's in the insurance, like a field adjuster, someone that's first person to be on the site of where a loss occurs, you have to take photographs. Uh, you have to make sure you know the area of origin. You've got to look at um, plumbing. Plumbing, uh, I've learned in this process, is actually has um, date codes. So you can look to see. Sometimes we're seeing people, um, families sharing the same. There might have been one legitimate failure and they're passing that piece around to their friends and family so they can claim, make the same kind of water loss claim. The pipe codes will show you, if you compare it, like if the house was all built at the same time, then you'll know the date code. If it matches, you know, if it was built in October of 2000, you'll see a code kind of similarly on all the other plumbing. 
And so that's something you want to look at. And then just even more basically, you want to look at the utility records. So, um, for example, I have a water loss right now where um, I, I think that the house had been unoccupied and vacant for a long time, and they went and got it insured um, just so they could get coverage for a water loss that had already occurred. So the utility records showed um, there wasn't electricity at the house um, and there wasn't any water usage. or There wasn't significant to show that someone had been occupying the house. But even the water records can show you can actually study those water records to say how significant the damage was. Um, you know, you can look at the cubic feet over a period of time, um, how much water was released during the time that they were gone and calculate if you know the size of the room, how high the water should have gone up on the walls, for instance. There's, a, you know, for a different topic, and I think what people are used to seeing is that there's been water mitigation fraud, and that's where there's excessive mitigation. And by looking at the water records and seeing, figuring out, calculating, well, this is how much, it might have only gone up a couple inches, but now they've torn out drywall that goes up, you know, six feet of it from the bottom to the middle when they didn't need to. Um, and then, likewise, you can look at heating records and say, well, here's historically what they were using, and I know that um, it's, it shows that la this year, from last year, they reduced their heat by 75%. And you know, well, then they probably weren't maintaining the heat in the house at this time. Uh, so then, finally, I think that the, you really have to make sure you're doing um, exams under oath to kind of really pinpoint the insured, get them... You know, you're really only going to find out some of this information by taking examination under oath, getting the insurer to uh, provide. That's where you make the document demands for all of the utility records. That where you, that's where you get the information about whether the insured was experiencing financial distress, um, if there was domestic discord, and that's where you get them really pin them down onto the facts of loss. Now, what was so interesting for me as someone that has been doing this work for more than 20 years, uh, the arsons that I had been seeing in the past, they were homes that, um, you know, you wouldn't, you you might um, not think that you'd kind of say this, this isn't a um, very nice home that was burnt down. The water losses that I'm seeing are in um, very affluent neighborhoods. Um, one of the claims that I mentioned the house was a um, 5,400-square-foot home. It was covered in marble. That was the house where the neighbor saw them moving out a baby grand piano, and it was valued in the millions. And so I think it was surprising to us to say um, it's not that, you know, you wouldn't have suspected when you approached this house that they would have any financial difficulty, but they were. So those are the things I guess you just can't take anything for granted, but that I'm seeing these sort of water, um, fraudulent water claims occurring in a much uh, nicer neighborhood in homes that you wouldn't readily, you would think that these people are flush with cash, they're living very high lives, but I think fraud is fraud. It's still a way of making money, and um, that's just, they've learned a new way to try and beat the system. Shelley, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. That was Shelley Lee Griffin, executive partner from the law firm Seacrest Wardle in Michigan, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Vowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. 
To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash claims resource. And if you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professionals and Claims Resource is the top website for locating qualified professionals and need-to-know insurance information for the claims market. Brought to you by AM Best, the world leader in insurance industry information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.